Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 84. Today I spoke to Laura Gassner-Otting, author of Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life, keynote speaker, confidence catalyst and educator of consonants. Laura tells us what the four elements of consonants, calling, connection, contribution and control, going into detail about why they're important and what they are exactly. We open a dialogue about meaningful work and what that is all about. Purpose is highlighted, as in when personal and professional lives and careers can change trajectories for the right reasons. Laura shares what she has learned about herself over the past few months and what she is having to conquer now, displaying great resilience. Thanks for joining us on our show, LGO. Laura, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Well, I am on uh, day 16 of 30 days of a chemo treatment to the face, which has been unpleasant, but I'm doing just fine. Laura, obviously, last couple of weeks have been difficult for you, but you know the world has gone through so much over the last six months. What have you learned about yourself over that period? Oh, it's such a good question. You know, over the last six months, and especially over the last few weeks, and I should tell your listeners, I'm going to be just fine. The prognosis for all of this is you look like a creature from the Black Lagoon, ugly on the outside, but a warrior on the inside, and eventually the ugly goes away. You get back to normal, but you get to keep the warrior. So um, over the last six months, and especially over the last few weeks, I've spent a lot of time focusing on the question, not of what do I want to be, but how do I want to be? Because it occurred to me that when life goes, quote unquote, goes back to normal, I don't necessarily know that the normal I go back to is the life that I want. And in order for me to change that, it doesn't mean saying I want to be X when I'm done. It means I want to you know, act a certain way. I want to be a certain way. It's not that I want to have a title. It's that I want to have a way of life that I feel really proud about. So what I've learned in the last six months is that success for me isn't what I am. It's really how I am. Tell us about the reflections that you do. What's the process you use to get into your own head and start to look at these things? So, you know, I'm a writer. And, you know, I, I wrote a book called uh, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And I wrote that book in about six weeks. Debuted as a Washington Post bestseller. It's, you know, Robin Roberts from Good Morning America picked it as one of her favorite books of all of 2019. It had incredible success, which shocked me because I was not planning on it. It was completely unexpected. But I wrote the book in about six weeks, and people are always stunned about that. But it's because I really spent 25 years and six weeks coming up with the book. And so I think my process of reflection is the same process that I take when I'm writing, which is that I sort of have this concept 
And I kind of, you know, if you imagine it like walking around a house, like you walk around the outside of the house, and if you look into the living room, you see what kind of sofa they have and what sort of TV they have. And if you walk into, you know, by the by the kitchen window, you get to see what color their plates are. And if you're, you know, hanging out by the bedroom, you may see some, you may see some other things. But it's not until you find the front door that you walk into the house. And then once you do, you're like thing one and thing two from, you know, the cat in the hat. You can run all over the place, you know, the whole plan of the house. So for me, the reflection really comes in the form of allowing myself the freedom, the liberty, the grace to just continue to circle the house, to walk around, to walk around and let the ideas just kind of percolate until I find the hook the story, the 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 one statistic, the something that's like, oh, that's the way I write that chapter. That's the way I write the blog post. That's the way I give that speech. That's the way that I understand that idea in my own head. And so I think a lot of people feel like they are, they're, they're sort of pressured to have to figure it out, that they have to reflect and they have to read mantras and they have to you know get these fridge magnet rationalization nonsense things from Instagram. But the truth is, a lot of it's already inside your own head. You just have to give yourself the space to let it come to you, which is why so many of us have these great ideas when we're on a long run or when we're in the shower or when we first wake up because your brain has had that time to just have some distance. It's funny. It's the preparation that made that six-week blockbuster period possible. Let's pivot for a minute, Laura, and ask the question that if someone was going to write a book about you now, what would that book be called and, and what's that book all about? Oh, that book right now would be called A Beats a Scalpel to the Face. And what that book would be about would be courage. Because that's what I keep getting told. You know, I go live on on social media every day. I'm I'm interviewing people for my own show, and I'm just super public about it. You know, for my for the for the show that I do, I put makeup on because that's going to last forever. But when I go on Facebook Live every morning, I'm there in full red pockmarked, horrible, ugly creature from the Black Lagoon face, and people keep commenting about how courageous I am. And the truth is, I mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate them saying it, but the truth is. I'm not. It's not courageous because I know I'm going to be fine after. So I think the book that somebody would write would be the wrong book. And I and I say that all because I think what happens is that people have these conceptions of us from the outside, which are just wrong. Like people look at me and they're like, "Wow, you've written this best-selling book. You get on stage. You're so bold. You don't have any fears. You 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 know you run marathons. You you are you know are a master's competitive rower. You can do everything." And the truth is, I can't do everything. But I can work my ass off to try to do everything. And so I think the book that people would write would be about my courage. And the book that they should write would be about how hard I work in the hours, in the dark, when nobody else can see, when other people are sleeping. Because that's when you're circling the house and circling the house and doing the preparation work. The actual work, the writing of the book, the getting on the stage, the running the race, that's just a victory lap. The work really goes into the prep beforehand. So I think when if somebody was writing a book about me or writing a book about you know David or Chiron, they'd be writing the wrong book. And I think it's a really interesting question because there's a big, pretty big difference between the person that they see on the outside, which is you know this incredible, amazing badass, and the person that you are on the inside, which might be just like this huge bag of insecurities, you know, wrapped in flesh and bones. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle is that we sort of have these moments of courage and we also have these moments of like absolute, you know, utter disaster. But I think it's somewhere in the middle. We just looked up a word that 
does come to the fore quite a lot in your work called consonants. For those who might know a lot about what that means and the kind of construct you've made around it, you wouldn't mind delving into that a little bit, would you? Yes. Yeah, so this is a this is a good lesson in marketing because originally my book was going to be called Consonants: How to Do Work That Matters and Live a Life of Purpose. <laughs> and a good friend of mine who was in marketing was like, uh, "Laura, nobody's going to buy a book that has a t- word on it that they don't know." <laughs> And so we went with limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. And and the word consonance is actually a word that people do know. You just don't realize it because you know it's opposite. You know dissonance. You know noise and cacophony and conflict. But you don't know consonance. And consonance is alignment. It's harmony. It's flow. Do you know those moments when the very best of what you do is being asked for to solve a problem that you actually care about? And you're being rewarded for it in some way that is personally, financially, karmically interesting to you. Those are moments when you're in consonance. It's when the it's when what you do matches who you are. You feel like you can walk through walls. You can you know you can you can climb over mountains. You can you know you could you could fly because you are absolutely in that alignment zone. And so many of us don't have it because we're, we spend our lives pursuing the checkboxes on somebody else's list of what success is going to look like. But what my book talks about is that in order to find your consonants, you actually have to figure out what success means for you. And when you pursue that, that's actually when you find what you love. That's actually when you get called to do the things that matter to you. And when we're when we're pursuing, you know, look, you can't be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals. You just, you just can't be, whether it's in business or sport or, or, or academia or parenting, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You cannot be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals. And what I try to do in the book is I try to break down consonants into a structure, a framework that you can follow so that you can actually figure out what your goals are and then pursue those, lean into those instead of someone else's. Brilliant. I saw a talk you gave to Google a few years ago, and one thing that I took away from it that I thought was excellent was your approach to screw the Joneses. I'd love you to share that with the listeners, if you could. <laughs> yes. So we all have the Joneses in our lives, and apologize to anybody whose name is Jones <laughs> who's listening, but uh, we'll call them the Smiths for all of you Joneses. Sure. But you know, like there's the expression "keeping up with the Joneses," and here's what happens: I was I was on a, an executive coaching call with a client of mine, and he was like, you know, I, I I'm running my business because I'd like to have more flexibility. You know, my kids are in middle school. I want to spend more time with them. I live in the city, so I walk to work every day. And it's just never mattered to me that I that I make the kind of money that I can buy a fancy car because I just I just don't necessarily want that. He goes, but then my neighbor just bought a Ferrari and that car is beautiful and maybe I want a Ferrari. And I was like, well, do you want a Ferrari? Do you want to start driving to work? Do you? And he was like, well, not really. And I'm like, well, then screw them. Like, forget them. So here's what happens. We all have these Joneses in our lives, you know, the ones with like the perfect photos and the perfect families and the perfect beach sunsets and the perfect, you know, parties and everything about their lives looks perfect. It's part of why I've been going live still with my face looking like the black the creature from the Black Lagoon, because I just want to be real and authentic. When we have a world full of, you know, beautiful girls with flower crowns looking out over sunsets, telling us to follow our passion, we feel crappy about ourselves. So we have all these people in our lives who have somehow either 
to our face or in these sort of insidious ways, like through social media or just sort of like, you know, subtle shade or maybe like passive aggressiveness or maybe parenting have said to us, you need to, you know, do this kind of work at this kind of place with this kind of title, with this kind of, you know, salary, with this, you know, wearing these clothes in exactly the right size, going to this school, going to, you know, go, you know, driving this kind of car. And we look at them and we feel this compare and despair. We judge our own, uh, we, you know, we judge our blooper reels by their highlights. And it makes us feel terrible about ourselves. So, you know, you know, you have the Joneses, you have those people in your lives and they just make you feel terrible. And I say, screw the Joneses, like forget about them. They matter not one whit to your level of happiness unless you let them. And when we let them define for us what success means, then we're pursuing their success. And then when we get to the point, you know, that, that, that coaching client of mine could go down every morning, get his coffee and get in his Ferrari and drive the two blocks that he used to walk to work, is he going to be happy? Probably not. He might, you know, feel like an immediate rush when, you know, he feels the rev of the engine. But happiness is 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 like a moment in time. It's not deep, long-standing fulfillment. And deep, long-standing fulfillment doesn't come from trying to please the Joneses. It comes from screwing the Joneses and doing what matters for you. For those people that have that pretty job, maybe they are driving a Ferrari, you know, fair play, they've done well to get the Ferrari, but that isn't really maybe what they want to do. But they're also then anxious about making the change because maybe there is a bit of self-awareness and acknowledgement that they want to try something different, that there's, their calling is elsewhere, but maybe they're a little bit afraid to make that step because they're not sure. They might have that Ferrari, which maybe there's a part of them that does want. Um you kind of talk about yourself as like a change agent to try to help facilitate meaningful and deep work for people. So what about that kind of cohort of people that are afraid to maybe take that leap of faith to find what maybe is their longing? So I'd say a, a couple of things to that. The first thing I would say is Ferraris are great. <laughs> if you want a Ferrari, awesome. So continent is made up of four parts. It's made up of calling, connection, contribution and control. And your calling is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. It is uh, a business that you want to build. It's a family that you want to nurture. It's a race that you want to win. It is, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, your calling can be yourself. It could be a cause. You might, you know, curing cancer. It, it, it can be just whatever it is, is a thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. And what I would say first to, to, to the people who maybe did want to work for the Ferrari and love the Ferrari, the Ferrari's great. Buying the Ferrari could be your calling, and that's that's awesome. We have this idea that calling has to be wrapped up in purpose, higher purpose, lofty purpose, as if if you're not literally giving the shirt off your back to poor kids in need, you have no purpose and you're just pushing paper. I'm here to tell you, and I spent 20 years doing executive search for NGOs, helping uh, individuals do nonprofit-type work, and I'm here to tell you that if your calling is buying a Ferrari and a beach house and making a billion dollars, that's awesome. Cool. There, it is a, it is a purpose judgment-free zone. Everybody's calling is their calling. And if we have to just stop giving votes in our lives to people who shouldn't even have voices. So if your calling is the Ferrari, that's great. Go for it. But maybe if your uh, calling was the Ferrari and now it's not, that's okay too. So the second thing I want to say is that at every age and at every life stage, our calling changes. Our definition of consonance changes. And so this is where the other three pieces of consonance come in. We have calling, 
Then the next is connection. Connection answers the question, does your work matter? If you called in sick to work tomorrow, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Does the work you're doing on a daily basis, what's in your inbox, on your calendar, on your email that you're desperately trying to get to zero, is it helping you to reach said calling, curing cancer, buying the Ferrari, winning the race, et cetera? That's the second piece. The third piece is contribution. How does this work, this brand, this paycheck, how does it allow you to build the career trajectory that you want, to live the lifestyle that you desire, to manifest your values on a daily basis? How does this work contribute to the life that you want to build? And then lastly is control. And control really answers the question of how much personal agency do you have to impact the teams that you're on, the proposals that you get to send in, the promotions that you're up for, the amount of money that your hustle gives you back, how much time you get off to spend with your family, et cetera. How much control do you have so that your work connects to your calling and contributes to your life in the way that you want? And so if somebody is sitting there going, you know, I did want the Ferrari, or maybe I didn't want the Ferrari, but at the end of the day, I want something different now, that's okay because at every age and at every life stage, what we want is different. So when I was 22 years old and I was dropping out of law school to join a presidential campaign and ending up in Bill Clinton's White House, what I wanted in terms of my calling, connection, contribution and control was vastly different than what it is right now where I've got, you know, a senior in high school and a kid in 10th grade and we're trying to figure out, you know, colleges and boy, I better be home a little bit more. It's really different. In, in each time. So when I was 22, I didn't care about control. One day I was on a bus to Arkansas. The next day I was on a plane to to to, to New York City. I was getting the coffee for the guy who got the coffee for the guy who got the coffee. So I had no con- I had no control or no connection. But I had calling in spades. And boy, in terms of contribution, I was making no money whatsoever. But if this guy won, I could have had a pretty interesting career trajectory. And also, I was manifesting my values every day. Now I look at it and it's like, you know what? I need a whole lot more control because if I'm not getting paid a good fee to get on a plane and go give a speech somewhere, obviously post-COVID, pre-COVID, it's going to be a whole different story than it is now. So my calling has shifted a little bit. It's much more about nurturing that family and being here for them. But I want to make sure that if I am going to go, I've got the right contribution. I'm making enough money. It's worth my time to leave. And it has to be a client that I care about and that I love. So the connection has to be there much more strongly. That's brilliant. I'd like to get your take on something that we often hear in in terms of advice. And we see it on quotes on Instagram and online. It's that if you find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Sometimes it can be seen as a fallacy. What's your take on on that statement? (laughs) Well, I think follow your passion is the spoken word illegitimate sister of the live, love, laugh tattoo. It is, <laughs> it is the worst possible career advice. And, here, and here's why. Find your passion. Follow your passion. It's not, it's not a destination. It's not even a roadmap. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. And, and here's why. Because when we think we found our passion, like those girls in the flower crowns on Instagram staring out over the over the sunset with their you know with with their their fridge magnet memes they look at you they implore <laughs> you to follow your passion and and there's this sense that as soon as you find that passion everything's going to be amazing right it's going to be the greatest you know burning man concert in the world like that doesn't that's 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 insane because you and I both know And anyone who's on this call who has ever followed anything that they were passionate about knows that your passion is going to kick you 
in the face. If you're lucky, <laughs> I kick you somewhere else. Um, it's going to gut you. It's going to tear you apart. It's going to throw you down and have its way with you. And 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 it is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And it's not in the following your passion that you never work a day in your life. You follow your passion. You're working even harder. But it's in the falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up again and again and again that you not just follow your passion, but you invest in your passion. And that's how you get really good at your passion. And doesn't your passion deserve that part of you anyway? We should say yes here, Carol. <laughs> we were nodding, but you can't see us nodding, Laura. But here's what I'll say. I'll say, if you're like, okay, great, so not follow your passion, invest in your passion, how the hell do I do that? You do that by scheduling conversations with people who are doing things that you love everybody is willing to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe they give you an hour. You never know. People have some time on their hands right now. So it's a great opportunity to, to reach out to somebody and not just say, hey, can I pick your brain for five minutes? But hey, I saw you did this thing. I was really interested in how you did X, Y, and Z. I'm really curious about what you did when you struggle with this part of it. I would love to talk to you for five minutes. Like do a little research. So it's not just like, here's another pick your brain call. So schedule informational interviews with people. Uh, watch uh, TED Talks, uh, read books, listen to great podcasts like this. Spend time getting better at the stuff that you want. You know, again, this goes back to the beginning. I'm not spending time talking about what I want to be. I'm spending time thinking about how I want to be. And how I want to be is the kind of person who learns about how to get better at the what they want to be eventually. I think you're aligning with another topic that you bring up about I'll be happy when, when you choose your passion, it's not just going to be easy. Yeah. You know, I'll be happy when I, I joke around that I'll be happy when are the four worst words in the English language. And the, the reason why I think that is because when you say I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when I get the job. I'll be happy when I win the race. I'll be happy when I lose five pounds. I'll be happy when I gain the muscle. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I get divorced. Like you name it. We've all said it. I'll be happy when COVID is over, right? Like I'll be happy when. And when you say that, you're you you are telling yourself, you're, I mean, you are giving your brain a signal, even before the words come out of your mouth, that it's okay not to be happy now. And because I'll be happy when says, it is just past the next hurdle. Every time happiness is past the next hurdle. And we are trained to think this way. We're trained from birth to think this way. And everything that we get in our consumerist society is like, you'll be happy when you get the next car or in the new TV or when your team wins the sport or whatever. The thing is, we're trained to always be wanting and pursuing because you know that's how we evolve as people. That's fine. But what I encourage people to say is, well, how do you be happy now? Like Life is not that long. And if you can't figure out a way to be happy now with what you have and where you are in the actual pursuit, in the work, in the process, then my guess is that you're not going to be ha that happy with the goal at the end of the day. Because a lot of us, you know, you, I, there's a woman that I profile in the book named Alison Levine, who, who captained the first all, uh, the first American all women's expedition up Everest. And she got 250 feet from, you know, 29,000, 29 feet. She got 250 feet from the top and bad weather rolled in and she had to turn around and go back. She had to make the decision. Do you keep going and get to the top and possibly put yourself and your team at risk of death 
right? Depleting your oxygen stores? Or do you turn around and get everybody back down alive? And she made the decision to turn around. And she uh, she spent time in the next several years going to dinner parties, being introduced as the woman who, you know, captained the, the all uh, women's uh, American team up Everest. And she would have these like snarky businessmen sitting next to her at dinner parties like, oh, so you got to the top? And she's like, well, I got to 250 feet from the top. And they were like, well, so you didn't really climb Everest, did you? And she never planned to go back again, but a friend of hers died prematurely and they were doing a hike to honor her. She went back up to the top, got all the way to the top. And how long do you think she spent, once you get to the top of Everest, how long do you think you spend there? Not very long. Yeah. When she told, see, you know this because you've probably interviewed people who have done this, but I assume that you're up there for hours. You're having a party. Like, it's incredible. You're at the top of the world. And she's like, no, you spend like six seconds. You get out the phone, yeah, yeah. you take a camera picture and you leave because you have such little oxygen left. And she said, the truth is that success is not getting to the top of Everest. Success is getting back down to the bottom alive. And if you say to yourself, I'll be happy when I get to the top of the mountain, then you're missing the months and months and months and sometimes years of preparation and climbing that are actually part of the journey. And I'd much rather spend the months and the years happy than the six seconds happy. It's, it's the process and kind of being being grateful for it. But it's it's something you hear about and, and not enough people put enough value into that because it's it is so important Laura yeah and you know this just from the the, the athletes and the the uh, you know the the executives that you interview that the ones who dig in who geek out about the process those are the ones who end up succeeding it's not about the performance it's not about the victory lap on the day of the victories it, where one whatever whether it's on the the business stage or the sports stage or or you know even like in your home life it, it they come from these these miniature these minute these like millimeter changes i i row on a masters competitive team and the difference between the people who win the race and the people who come in second it's often just tiny little changes that nobody could ever see. They're like so fractional, but it's all about the process. The process is what wins the race. And Laura, what about not to play on Rocky Balboa? It's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up. But if you know in your gut, in your heart, in your head that you're doing what you want to do, right? That it's it's a job, it's a whatever you want to call it, filled with passion and purpose but you're hitting a lot of roadblocks and obstacles and setbacks and it's not going to plan, you know, and COVID will have had that effect on a lot of people. What can you say to those individuals that maybe are losing a little bit of light, but they know they still want, they still want to keep doing it, but maybe the candle's burning down a little bit. What do you say to those individuals? Well, I would say first, there are economics of reality, and I get that. We all have to, you know, pay our rent or our mortgage. We've got to put food on the table. We've got to, you know, we've got to take care of our loved ones. So I, I, I will say that there are two numbers. There's the need to make number and the want to make number. And as long as your plan allows you to continue to make the need to make number, you're doing all right. But don't lose sight of the want to make number because that's what you're striving for. So I will preface all of this by saying, you know, this all is if you're able to get to the need to make number. Cool. Um, now, I'll tell you what I've done because, you know, as you know, my job is to get on airplanes and to fly to conferences and speak to stages of thousands of people. That's not happening during COVID. So I saw um, a, a business that went from me being on an airplane every single week and traveling all over the world and speaking to, to these great stages basically disappear 
overnight, like one by one by one, everything canceled or got rescheduled to, to 2021. And some of those are now even being pushed out to 2022. So my business completely cratered. It totally tanked. And I spent, I would say the first six weeks of COVID having a pretty big pity party for myself, doing, doing work, but just kind of feeling like, you know, this sucks. Like I was hitting the roadblocks, the, 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 the bank account was starting to go down a little and I was getting a little worried about it with no specific plan. And then I woke up one day and I said, you know, my calling has always been to help put the right people in the right place so that they can do incredible things. I did in the beginning of my career in politics. I did in the middle of my career in executive search, and I'm doing it now at this part of my career as you know, as a writer and a, as an author, helping people get unstuck and get out of their own way. So, if that's still my calling, then if that's the problem that I want to solve, what is the solution that I have that I can bring to the table? And the solution that I have is getting on planes and getting on stages, and that doesn't exist anymore. But if I used to think a bucket list event was 5,000 people, you know, the world's a pretty big place. And with a webcam and an internet connection and a decent microphone, I can reach a lot more than 5,000 people. So maybe I've actually been holding myself back because I've been defining what I can do by how everything has always been. Again, is the life I'm going back to the life that I want, right? When the new normal hits, am I just going to get back on planes, but just with masks and eye shields? No, maybe I'll get on some planes, but I'm going to do a lot more of my work online now. So I ask myself these questions. What is the problem that I want to solve in the world? What is the solution that I can bring to that problem? And then the third question is, what is the best medium through which I can do it? So for me, it was, what is the problem I'm trying to solve in the world? I'm trying to get people to ignore all the Joneses and to figure out what makes them happy and live that kind of life. I'm, my problem I want to solve is how do I help people become limitless? My solution used to be speaking. Now my solution are online courses and online master classes and online masterminds, right? I'm doing all my work online, media, et cetera. And then, you know, so that so so that's that answers the third question. What's the best medium through which I can do it? So if people are trying to, you know, they're finding their passion, they're trying to work in it, they're feeling like they're stuck, I would ask them to ask themselves these three questions. What is the problem that I'm trying to solve in the world? What is the solution that I have that the problem actually needs? And then what is the best medium through which I can deliver that solution now during COVID? after COVID, whenever. And that way lies clarity, it lies creativity, it lies consonance. You, you've kind of partly answered, which was the next question, but I'm sure you'll dig in a little bit more. I, I suppose I wanted to explore for those, those innovators, those kind of ideologists, those people that have a lot of ideas, a lot of those big shiny things that could all be fruitful. How do you handle big decisions? How do you decide it's worth investing time and energy into X and maybe parking Y, maybe even not knowing what Y will become in time? What advice would you give to that kind of question? So for me, I tend to get really excited about the next new bright, shiny thing. I, I love I love a big idea. I mean, it's in my bio. My bio says I love a big idea and I've never met a revolution I didn't like. I mean, I just, I love that idea that you can't let go of. My next book is going to be called Wonder Hell. And it's actually based on a blog that I wrote a year and a half ago when I was coming back on a red eye from a, from a speech in Vancouver back to Boston where I live. And 
it, the reason it's going to be my next book is, first of all, it, it went viral, this blog post, and, and, it, and it, it touched so many people. But second of all, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. So for those who have tons of big ideas and, and they're not quite sure what to park and what not to park, I would say put them all out there, write them all down, revisit them from time to time, because it's the ideas that you can't let go of, the ones that grow and they germinate inside of you, those are the ones that are really real. Look, we've all seen tons of you know personal development, self-helpers, et cetera, who are out there who are talking. And most of them are doing uh, uh, what, what my friend Scott McCain calls book reports. They're out there and they're giving talks based on everybody else's ideas. They're, they're, they're saying like, you just got to get up and do it. Okay, well, that's Mel Robbins and the five-second rule. They're saying, you know, you just need to, you know, give yourself, give yourself forgiveness and, and be vulnerable. Okay, well, that's Brene Brown, right? And they're sort of going through and they're picking people, but they're just kind of rephrasing them and they're giving these book reports on someone else's ideas. But it's the ideas that come out of your core, the ones that are you, that are so deep inside of you that they are part of your DNA. Those are the ones that you can't let go of. And those are the ones that you will start, if you write them down in January or May or whenever, you start to notice them throughout the year. You start to see little bits of them in everything you do. And you find yourself, you can't not talk about them. You can't not think about them. Those are the ideas that you will want to stick with because those are the ones that you're insatiably hungry about. You're insatiably curious about. And the curiosity, the wanting to figure things out, that's going to be the Rocky Balboa moment when you're like, I want to keep getting up. I want to keep figuring it out. I want to keep going because you're so fascinated by all the different tethers of that one particular idea. And for most people, what I found, especially in my executive coaching practice, is that there tend to be patterns. So, uh, you know, there, there's a woman who I interviewed on, on my podcast, who's a children's book author. And she and I actually happened to, to go to high school together. And before we got on the call, I pulled out my high school yearbook and I was like, Tamika, listen, I, I, you, you, you spent your entire beginning of your career selling medical supplies. Then you made this mid-career pivot and became a children's book author. And I was fascinated about that. So I looked at, I looked in our yearbook and what I found is you were in the math club, you were in chorus. Um, and you were in the Spanish Honor Society. And I started thinking math, music, language. All of these things go into children's books because, you know, children's books are like da 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 Right there's like a pace, there's a rhythm, there's math in it. You, they have to rhyme things. So there's language, there's sound, there's there's music. And I said, I feel like there's this pattern here. And she was like, Oh my god, you're right. Like it's, it's absolutely, like she never thought about it that way before. And so these are ideas and you never know, like in high school, some of these ideas start to germinate. So I don't, don't park any of them, like keep them all, let them all sit, write them out, explore them. And the ones that, the ones that are, are the most exciting, you'll start seeing clues. You'll start seeing patterns of them everywhere. And those are the ones that you really want to pursue. In terms of what you've pursued in your life and the career and journey that you've had so far, what do you feel was your biggest achievement or one you're most proud of? You know, I'm going to I'm going to evade the question a little bit because I I am I am I am most comfortable stage left, which I know is a really weird thing to say as somebody who gets on stage, stage center and speaks all the time, but I have I have always been most comfortable, as I mentioned, putting the right people in the right positions to change the world. And so for me, even when I'm on stage center, I am 
putting the audience stage center and I'm showing them the way. So I'm kind of stage left, even though the spotlight's on me, it's really all about them. So I think my proudest achievements have been the moments where somebody has gotten unstuck and they've started to shine. I, I, I told my, my husband a long time ago that I, 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 I want, you know, when I die, which is sort of a weird thing to say at a, in a podcast that we started off talking about skin cancer, I'm not going to die anytime soon where me and my skin are locked in a battle of the ages and I promise I will beat it. But, but when I die many, many years from now, um, I, 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 all I want people to like, I don't want one of those obituaries. that was like, she was this and she was this and she was this and listing all those titles. I just wanted to say that I just want someone to say that my life was better that, or sorry, that their life was better because I was in it. That in some small way, they were able to be a better version of themselves, stronger, faster, funnier, richer, more giving, whatever it is that they define as success for themselves, because I was in it. Now, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of visualization, Laura. We hear that a lot from our athletes that um, come on to this. So you said you're in Boston, and a DeLorean has just parked up outside. Okay? <laughs> yes. Um, and, and you're hopping into your DeLorean and it's going to bring you to Fenway, to Fenway Park, where you have a stage set up for you in five years from now in your left center. And <laughs> you have a bit of, you only have Hemingway's six words to give to that audience to help change their trajectory or change their life or give them value or whatever you want to do. What, what would be the words that you would give to that audience in the next three to five years after having gone through all they've gone through? That is such a good question. I could probably do it in five words. That's okay. You are not your past. The main broadsheet here in Ireland has a competition every week when aspiring writers or, or keynotes or, or public announcers or whatever have to put in for the Hemingway competition. So you're the first person we've asked that question. So um Great I answer. mean, look, you can't beat Hemingway, right? Like baby shoes <laughs> for sale, baby shoes never worn. No. I mean, that's that's the greatest. That's that's the, the that's the greatest story ever told. It's 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 beautiful and lovely and tragic and 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 horrible and and perfect. <laughs> so, I how do you how do you beat that? You did well. One other thing that I I heard you speak about before, and I thought was excellent. Um, the four horsemen of success apocalypse. Yes. Well, I think the four, we talked about some of those four horsemen, right? It's the follow your passion. It's I'll be happy when it's, it's this nonsense about how, uh, how purpose, uh, has to be, you know, only wearing the white hat and only being a do-gooder. And then the last one is about balance. And I think we hear this so much. Oh, I just want more work-life balance. And uh, I, you know, Work-life balance is nonsense. It's it's ephemeral, even if you do get it, and and it's a terrible goal. You want your work to be over there and your life to be over here, and never the twain shall meet. And God forbid you spend one extra second on one than the other. You know, nobody says I want work-life balance because I want the same amount of work and life. They say I want work-life balance because I want more life and less work. That tells me that there's a problem with the work. And so, rather than work-life balance. Figure out work that actually reflects who you are so that you have work-life alignment, where you actually like to be at work, where you're able to have conversations with your peers about things that matter to you, where, again, it's manifesting your values. It, it's not this organ rejection because I think we all think that we're so busy, but we're not busy. We're just exhausted from the code switching in between the roles that we have to play. And if you have more work-life alignment, then you don't have to do any of that code switching and costume changing. So, you know, I'm, I, I think 
balance is that is the last of the four horsemen of the success apocalypse that just, they just screw us because we end up pursuing all these things that are just, you know, e- ephemeral, even if we can get them, but just, they're just insidious, hard to reach goals. And, you know, back to the, you are not your past thing. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you're not going that way. So don't look at your past. But I would say you are not your past because your past is not, you're not, the, the failures that you've had are not definitional to who you are. They, they help you grow. They help you learn. Failure is a, is a point of fulcrum, not finale. And so you're not your past. You're not defined as your past, but you can use your past to learn and evolve and grow. And every single day you get to make that decision about who you want to be and how you want to be, how you want to show up in the world for the causes that you hold dear, for the people that you love. And that's what makes you limitless. Laura, just want to say thanks. All those stories, all that wisdom, all that insight, just amazing. So everyone that comes on this podcast, we always ask a simple question to finish, which really just comes full circle, which, which what is high performance? What does that mean to you? I see this one I was ready for. (laughs) I wasn't ready for that anyway, but high performance to me means, means teamwork. It means understanding what makes every single person for me it makes understanding what makes every single person in my boat or on stage with me or on my team you know whether it's writing or or the coaching or the course that I do high performance means that every one of us understands when we are at our very best who we are in that fundamental you know state of leadership and then creating uh paths and parts so that each one of us can dig in and find the next gear each time we do anything. It's, it's, it, is, it, is the, it is the work that happens behind the scenes that, we, that helps us understand who we all are at our very best so that when we bring it for that race day, for that speech, for that you know, book launch party, for that online course uh, uh, event, whatever it might be, it allows us to just do that victory lap. High performance to me is, is, is that clarity and the pre-work that allows for the victory lap. Laura Gassner-Otting, Kieran and myself, David, are really grateful for your time today, especially considering what you're going through. We, we really wish you both the best with that. Um, get better. Thanks very much again for everything you've given to us today and to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Speak soon. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.